or to react in some way that you know deep down like this would not be a good idea. And that, that's temptation. It's a confliction of desires. It's wanting to do one thing, but then knowing or desiring to do something else. Um, It's not the same thing as simply like wanting to do something that perhaps you know you should do, you simply want to do, and heck, why not just do it? It's that uncomfortable, difficult feeling, that, that, uh, that feeling torn. Like, I kinda wanna do this, but darn it, I know I really shouldn't, or I'm afraid of the consequences. And so thus we call that kind of desire temptation. Some of you are giggling. Um, is this hitting close to home already? Here's another question. Have you ever prayed for the strength to overcome temptation? Because this is, what, this is what we've just read. Twice, in fact, Jesus says in this garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, he says before Jesus himself starts to pray, before he withdraws, he tells his disciple, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdraws about a stone's throw away. He starts to pray himself. It's an extremely stressful moment. He is literally sweating drops of blood, which apparently is like an actual physical phenomenon if you're under extreme duress. He gets back up only to find his disciples asleep. And he wakes them up. He says, rise, wake up. What are you doing sleeping? Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Have you ever been in that moment where you're about to do what you know you shouldn't do or don't really want to do, but you're tempted to do, and that, in that moment you cry out, God, help me. Have you ever tried that? Did it work? Every time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 2.18, why? Because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Help how? How does trusting in Jesus enable us to overcome temptation? How does trusting in our maker empower us to resist giving in to temptation? That's the big question. If Jesus said pray that you may not enter temptation, um, that's another way of saying Trust God, look to him, and he will enable you to overcome whatever temptation you're facing. Because let's face it, um, you're not as special as you might think you are. That is, your temptation may not be quite as unique as perhaps you are tempted to believe at times. It's all common, it's all normal. How do we do this? Three things. Number one, it begins by knowing 
your desire. James writes in James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own or her own desire. Remember, temptation is, well, let me put it this way. We often, including myself, often make the mistake of trying to resist temptation on a very behavioral level. You know, I do things that I shouldn't do, like I'm tempted to eat too many donuts, or I'm tempted to stay up too late at night binging on Netflix. And, you know, I suppose those things aren't, like, particularly helpful in, like, life. But they're not, like, evil, per se. They're not, they're not rooted in the things that are actually going to, if given into, like, destroy my relationships and have generational impact in my life, my kids, my grandkids, society. I mean, I suppose if you spend like your whole life binging on Netflix, that could have some pretty severe repercussions. But the scriptures tie temptation to our desires, not just our behavioral issues, Those are symptoms of something that's going on much deeper inside of us. The things that we do, our bad habits, are always connected to much deeper desires. So step one is to recognize your desires. What is it that's really going on inside of you when you're being tempted to do something that's not good. And actually, quite possibly, simply, sin. What's really going on? Um, What are your temptations? My wife and I were having this conversation on on the car ride over here. I asked her, "What, what is your greatest temptation in life right now? And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm gonna be super honest right now, because there's something about being on stage that just empowers you, to be honest. I asked her, what is your greatest temptation right now? And immediately I thought, oh God, don't let her ask me. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to admit it. Um, I should probably say as well, the thing I hate about preaching this sermon is that really, um, it's one of those things where it's like, who, who am I kidding? Like, I have not mastered the art of overcoming all temptation. I've got plenty of temptation in my life, and occasionally, can we stop the recording, I fail. (laughs) I sin. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, there's very real consequences uh, to the temptation that I give give into in my life. What is your greatest temptation? And try to think beyond superficial behavior and ask yourself, what is going on inside of me? Like in my soul, what desire is it that's compelling me to give in to that that thing that I keep doing over and over again? You might actually get to the root of the matter. 
you know, the feeling of temptation, it's an indication that there's a desire or a hunger, if you will, that's not being satisfied. It's not being satisfied. Desire is from God. If you want to do an interesting word study in the scriptures, just, just do the word desire. You know who mostly desires throughout the Bible? It's God. God desires. His desires are insatiable. He desires us. Oh, he desires us. And we, like our Father, are to desire him and the things that would draw us close to him, the things that would honor him and cause us to experience more of his love. So desire is from God. It's a good, healthy thing to experience. If you don't desire anything, I might be worried whether or not you're even like alive. You should, should try out that whole breathing thing I've been hearing about. Desire. We can spend a lifetime dealing with the symptoms of temptation, but to overcome, we must have courage to own our desires. Let me throw out a few temptations to see if you guys um, relate to any of these. The temptation to withdraw. When you feel like you don't belong in a place, when you feel like you were here and no one even noticed you, and the temptation to just like disappear and never come back can be really, really strong. How about the the temptation to withhold forgiveness? What desire is that rooted in? The temptation to withhold forgiveness. Or another way to put it, the temptation to hold on to bitterness. What, is that, does, that, what, what desire is that attached to in one's soul that you would refuse to let go of that bitterness that you know is killing you inside? There's a desire there. What about the temptation to lash out? That might be the flip side of that coin. We might withhold, we might withdraw, we might step back, or depending upon your, uh, I don't know, personality type. Some of us are rhinos, other of us are hedgehogs. I've always been a bit of a hedgehog. Um, I know some of you are rhinos. And instead of withdrawing, instead of becoming passive aggressive, you'll become ultra critical and you will let the whole world know about it. You'll lash out in your words. Of course, you'll do it all in a very PC way. Got a great way of just keeping it all Christian and kosher. But we can lash out. What is that root? What is that desire? Here's, here's one of my favorite the temptation to complain. So just like moan about life. Because just look at us. How, how hard do we have it? Some of you might have it really hard, and I suppose I should be, should be careful what I say at this point. But I think a lot of times, we, we tempted to complain when really, we should be thanking God for the fact that I even, I get to breathe today. I got to wake up today and there was air in my lungs. Which is the why, why the Bible says, 
even in trials, I can rejoice because I know that my God is still alive. But it's so tempting to complain. Something very cathartic about just moaning about life. And it's kind of popular, really, I've noticed. Um, I love Portland. I love Oregon. I come from California. Did you guys know that? I know. So ashamed. It felt, I felt so liberated when I finally changed my license plate from California to Oregon. And I felt a very strong conviction to keep my 559 area code. Even though no one really knows where that is, I thought, no, I'm going to keep it because I'm not ashamed. Everyone makes me feel ashamed. How about the temptation to care way too much what people think about? That's powerful. That is powerful. This passage of scripture we just read in Luke 22 um, You see it in the other Gospels as well. In the Gospel of John, there's a bit more detail included. Um, In Matthew, it says that Jesus actually came back three times. And each time, he said, what what are you doing? You're asleep. Wake up. Pray that that you may not enter into temptation. But if you read on, we find that Peter, um, as as he often does, features as like... um, a significant character in, the, in this, this passage. In fact, if you back up just a little bit, we're, we're told that preceding this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane is, is when Jesus spoke to Peter and he told the, the apostle, this, this would-be leader of Jesus' church, that Satan has requested permission to sift you like wheat, it says. It says in uh, 2231, I'll just read it. Uh, Simon, Simon, remember that was Peter's name prior to meeting Jesus? It's interesting, in this moment, Jesus refers to Peter by his old name twice. Simon, Simon, definitely something to do with his identity. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, that your trust may not fail. Jesus himself prayed that Peter may not enter into temptation. And do you remember that line in the Lord's Prayer? It's actually the very last line. And the Lord lead us not in temptation. Matthew includes the, but deliver us from evil. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that whatever desire that's at the root of that temptation might be unearthed. That you might realize what's really going on. And what we're talking about isn't just managing your uh, unhelpful behaviors a little bit better, but actually trusting God in a way that those desires are actually met by him. 
That was number one, know your desire. Number two, know your enemy. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That's treacherous. That's like almost a little spooky. Satan has demanded to have you. I don't like talking about Satan because honestly, I, I just don't know that he really needs any attention whatsoever. But since Jesus brought it up, yeah, guys, every one of us, if, well, let me put it this way. If you aspire uh, to follow Jesus and to experience what, what it actually feels like to have your deepest desires met by your creator, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. Welcome to the family. He wants you, and he wants to rob you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. At the very least, just put you to sleep. He just wants you to go to sleep. Let's go back to Genesis quickly. And this is where, this is where we first encounter temptation in the scriptures. Genesis 3, 6 Now, it's interesting, uh, temptation's not actually mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, Only in the New Testament does temptation actually become a thing. It would seem that there's something about people encountering Jesus when people actually experience uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to start rearranging the very most fundamental desires of the human heart that we began to feel that confliction. The things that used to just be quite natural, like the sin we all know and love, all of a sudden becomes this source of great tension. And all of a sudden this thing called temptation starts to happen. But we do see it alluded to. And it begins in Genesis chapter three, which most of your Bibles label as the fall. And it said a serpent Came. That, of course, is deeply symbolic, but for our purposes this morning, let's just say Satan was in the garden, and he came to the man and the woman, to Adam and Eve, and he began to talk to them. He began to question them. He began to get them thinking and wondering about just how trustworthy uh, this God of theirs really was. But it says that There was a tree in the center of the garden, and this tree had fruit on it, and the serpent, Satan, took the piece of fruit, and he offered it to the woman, and it said that the fruit was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. The woman saw that it was good for food, just for basic sustenance, Simple, primal human needs. It was, it was good to look at. It was the delight to the eyes. That says something about, I don't know, the shiny stuff. The gadgets. The, um, the good life. Let's put it that way. And then, desire to make one 
wise. What is that? Well, the deal was that Adam and Eve, the the woman and the man, the, the children of God, were put in this garden, and there was a relationship that had been established from the very outset that God was the wise one. God was their provider. God desired to bless his creation, and God was to be trusted. And then this mysterious piece of fruit. You can be wise. You can be like God, which immediately calls into question just how trustworthy is this God after all? And that's what Satan has been attempting to do ever since. You know, it says that there, there is no temptation that's not common to man. The same thing goes with the tempter. He has a very common strategy. In fact, Paul writes elsewhere that we are not to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. It's not some great mystery that's, that, you know, that no one can seem to figure out. It's painfully obvious how the enemy works, what his tricks are, and how he lies. He appeals to our, our basic desire for food, like to be alive. And if that doesn't work, then he goes for the, uh, the things that delight our eyes, the, uh, you know, riches, toys, fancy things, what we might describe as the blessed life. Mm-hmm. And of neither one of those two things get you, then he goes straight after the very character of God. This is the jab-jab uppercut. This is, this, is, this is what he does. He'll dance around all, all day, all life long. Jab, jab, uppercut. Jab, jab, uppercut. He's gonna take away your food. He's gonna, he's gonna take away your basic substance. God can't even provide for you. Your kids are gonna starve to death. You're gonna, you're gonna foreclose on your mortgage. God is not good enough to actually take care of his children. Or if you don't believe that, then I've got some trinkets you might be interested in. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just entertain the thought, if you'll just give in to the temptation, I've got something really shiny you might like. You might be like, no, that's all right. Been there, done that, not worth it. And he says, all right, fine. Let me tell you a thing or two about this God you think is so good and wants to be thought of as your father. And he goes for the very character of God. So that's all about knowing your enemy. But more importantly, we need to know our God. Luke 4 About 15, I don't know how many, a long time later, we go from a garden to a desert. It's the same enemy, it's the same lies. It's interesting, we start out in a garden. The woman and the man, they fall for the lie, they believe the line, they give in to the temptation. 
everything falls apart. What was once a garden becomes desolate. And now Jesus has come. He's led by the Spirit out into the desert. It's no longer a garden. It's a desert now, but the serpent is still there. And so in Luke 4, we see this epic scene between Jesus and Satan. It said just after he was baptized, which we're going to do this morning, he comes up out of the water and says, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And the father spoke and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Identity sealed. This is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. Up until this point, he's done nothing to earn the love of the father other than simply to submit to his will. He's obedient. He gets baptized. That's it. He submits to the will of his father, and his father says, this is my boy. I love him. He's mine. I'm pleased with him. And he comes up out of the water, and the spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what happens? It says Satan comes to him, and the devil said to him in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, if you are the son of God, if you are this beloved son, then tell this rock to turn into bread. Mind you, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He was super hungry. Okay, this is on par with like air. Okay, at this point, he needs food. It's good for food. It's good for food. Take it. It's good for food. He's appealing to his most primal desire simply to be alive something very powerful about our desire to stay alive. Jesus says, no, no, not falling for it. So Satan comes to him again and he says, to you I will give, or no, he says, Satan um, took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me to give If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. It's an interesting that it says that Satan showed him. It's a visual thing. Look at what I'll give you. All this can be yours. The the life that you know you were created for, the destiny that you've always longed for, I can give it to you. Look how shiny it is. Look at the car. Look at the house. Look at the the 401K. Look at the, the security. Look at the comfort. I can give it to you if you'll just do it my way. It's delightful. It's appealing. Very, very tempting. Only one catch. Just do it my way. And Jesus says, no. No. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Satan says, all right, fine. Here comes the uppercut. And Satan says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. You've taken him to the pinnacle of the temple. This is where he was standing, looking out over all the kingdoms of the world, as it were. And he says, I'm not falling for it. Fine, then throw yourself down. And let's see what your God does. 
once again, he says, okay, I get it. You're not giving in. And he goes for the jugular. He attacks the very character of Father God. He says, go ahead, see what happens. You think you trust your father? See what happens. He's not going to be there. He's not going to be there for you. And what does Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. When you are weak, your God is strong. When you feel like you're starving to death and your desire is overwhelming, when you feel like you don't know if you can keep saying no to that thing that you desire so badly. And let's face it, it's rarely that shiny object. Okay, in the garden, it was a piece of fruit. But it's not a piece of fruit. It's never a piece of fruit. It's usually something more powerful, like a relationship. Like that desire to be in control. Like that desire to withdraw. How do we overcome temptation when the enemy is coming at us from every angle? Jab, jab, uppercut, jab, jab, uppercut. And you feel like you've been trying to fight the good fight and now you're getting exhausted and you're beginning to doubt the very faithfulness of God himself, how do you overcome? How do you overcome? What did Jesus say? He said, wake up and pray. Wake up and pray. Some of you, some of us, and I mean that sincerely, enemy doesn't need to land any more punches. We're asleep on the mat. What's at stake? Why fight at all? Why resist temptation? What, is someone gonna die? Why would you resist temptation? What's your motivation? What's meant to happen to your heart when you begin to speak honestly about what that desire is and ask God to begin to satisfy your hunger. Jesus would say, wake up. Rise. Fight. There's more at stake than we realize. Why did Peter fall asleep? He didn't realize what was at stake. When Jesus said, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, what did he say? Never. I would go to prison for you. I would die for you. Peter, you're deluded. Your pride has lulled you to sleep. And Jesus would say, wake up. We're going to change the world together. There are people in our city who are going to hell. 
Let's go on mission together. Let's begin to pray as if eternity depended upon it. Let's begin to resist temptation, knowing that our Savior, our King, our mighty warrior King has overcome the enemy in battle, and he is saying to us today, rise up, pray, fight, trust me. Your desires are enough. You've settled for mud pies when the Father is offering you something so, so much better. Guys, I'm not even talking about the consequences of our sin. That's another sermon. When we deliberately go on sinning, we wake up in a really, really bad place. I'm talking about that. I'm talking to you as brothers and sisters, and I'm including myself. Guys, I believe the Spirit is saying, wake up. Wake up. You have desires? I say your desires aren't strong enough. You find yourself giving in to temptation? You're not tempted to hunger for the things of God enough. There's only one way to overcome temptation. It's to say, Lord Jesus, take my heart. Make it new. You know what it looks like? It looks like dying with Jesus and coming back to life, to new life. The kind of life where God begins to write new desires on your heart. I've got, I've got temptation that I'm battling. Which is why it was so hard to prepare for this message. I was here last night till about 2 a.m. pacing around this place thinking I, I can preach a sermon and I've got three points but I've got temptation that I'm trying to overcome. God, how does it really work? Because I don't know that I've quite figured it out. And I wrestled and I kept opening the scriptures and I kept crying out to God and guys, this is what I've got. Jesus is saying, wake up. There's more at stake than you realize. Can we stand together? Can we put up that final verse, please? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Guys, that's, that's, that's that. That's, that's just that. So if you're like, gosh, Simon, calm down. The melodrama's a little much. I'm, that's just that, guys. That's what 
That's what we're called to. This is the fight. This is what we need to wake up for so that we can pick up the weapons of our warfare and begin to do battle for each other, for the uh, friends and family in our lives who don't know Jesus yet, who are lost. I make no apologies, guys. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through him because of who he is and what he did for us. And the only way to overcome this world is to look to the one who has overcome the world. And I want to invite you today, if you want to experience new life, if you want to, become to, if you want to begin to overcome temptation, and not just believe some things about a religion you grew up with, but to actually experience the very power of God that transforms lives, the power of God that would compel you to go on mission with the king, to see his kingdom of love and of peace advanced in a dark, broken world, beginning in your own heart. And guys, I say sign up. Let's go together.